Hello and welcome to a brand new episode of Lowdown today. I'm absolutely delighted to be joined by one of my favourite authors and author of Legacy, that is Mr. James Kerr. James, a big warm welcome to the show. Connor, it's a privilege. It's a pleasure to be here. James, um, I said I wouldn't do you a disservice by inviting you on, so I'm going to begin with the big hard-hitting questions first. <laughs> you said on a few previous pods, um, begin with the end of mind. It's a huge operating principle of yours. What does this mean for you, both professionally and personally? Um, well, it's it's not my original line. I, I, I'll hasten to add. Um, it's a Stephen Covey line, I think. But I think it it's um, it's it's it, it it's in there with sort of strategy and purpose and vision. You know, where are we heading? You know, there, there's some fantastic. Um, research that's been done about that, just the power of the visual in vision, you know, and put in a in a more populist way, you know, if we can see, we can be, you know, if we can if we can see where where we're aimed at, uh, we're a lot more likely to get there, both individually uh, and collectively. Um, so, so a big part of my work with teams has been around. You know, how do we paint that vivid picture of the future? You know, if if we, um, you know, a, a line somebody used is, you know, no one, no one ever won an Oscar without first kind of pretending to receive an Oscar in their bedroom mirror. You know, we we kind of have the self fulfilling prophecy is um, about the our ability to kind of finish the picture somehow, and I I think it's a very powerful way to create intention and purpose and a sense of direction. Um, in, a, in a collective environment, it, it's called um, cognitive congruence. All the minds are pointing in the same direction. Um, so I think in all sorts of motivational aspects, it's, you know, whether it's individual or, or, it's, or it's collective, having a vivid vision of where you're going uh, really matters. I think for me, um, it can be, you know, around imagining a book, what it looks like, you know, what it feels like, what it might feel like in my hand as I set off to write it. There's an interesting thing that that the word idea is, it comes from the root uh, idea or idea, which is to see. Um, that that when we have an idea, we kind of almost see things in, the, in their entirety. Uh, well, certainly I do. I can I can see a book idea and I go, um, uh, or you can sort of see the end, you know, you can see a team hoisting a particular cup. If if you if you can if you can see, you can be. And so for me, I think it's a guiding principle about creating guiding principles, if that makes sense, being able to create a compelling, vivid vision of what you want to bring about. Um, and then you figure out the how to get there. But you kind of got to know where you're aiming, and so beginning at the end in mind, I think, becomes a a hugely important principle in you know getting stuff done and getting stuff done together. And visualization has obviously played a huge role, a prominent role in your own career, James, to date. And a huge aspect of that has been the tool and the art of storytelling. Um, you were once a former advertiser before you moved into the leadership field. Knowing storytelling to be such a huge prominent feature of legacy and your subsequent work since James, why are stories important? Well, why are stories important? Um, 
I think why do kids um, watch Disney movies over and over and over and over again? Um, because they teach. Uh, we see ourselves in stories. We contextualize our lives through stories, I think. You know, why, why, why is the Bible for, or any religious text filled with stories, parables? You know, you know parables and proverbs. You know, stories and what they mean. You know, Aesop's tales, you know, stories of of um uh of rabbits and tortoises and and so on going about their day become kind of emblematic and and stories of how we might live. And so I think they're the probably the most primal instructor. They both inspire and they instruct. Um and they rewire us in many ways. If, if you think about cognitive behavioral therapy, for instance, or, uh, you know, neuro-linguistic program was a sort of a, a big thing for a while and still is in, in many ways. Um, that idea that the way we frame our experience, the map we make of the territory kind of defines our response to that territory. So from a um, from a leadership point of view, um, it's one of the, the most powerful levers that we have is that ability. You know, I talked about visualization. That's a, a, a form of storytelling or that form of visualization. There are different aspects of it, but a reform of storytelling. Visualization is a skier at the top of a mountain rehearsing in their mind how they're going to skier downhill. Um, is another form of storytelling. We're kind of um, creating a kind of future action through the way we tell that story to ourselves. Um, and and so they stories are vehicles for beliefs, I think. Um, and belief leads to behavior. And I think it's very much belief leads to behavior through the way we articulate who we are, what we stand for, where we're going, why it matters. All of those aspects, we 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 create a narrative that we live into. Those stories become a self fulfilling prophecy in many ways. I think, and um, you know, I have a line that the story you tell yourself becomes the story that others tell about you. Um, you know, in in programming, in computer programming, they say you know garbage in, garbage out. If you put rubbish data on the in uh, 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 and, and as an input, you get rubbish coming out on the output. But if you put a great story in as input, you tend to get a better result as an output. So if you get a story where um, you're rather than being selfish, you're selfless, you know, rather than being kind of, you know, opportunistic, you know, you have some, you know, principles. Uh, if, if you have rather than just being kind of pragmatic, you're more purposeful, for instance. Um, you'll tend to get more purpose-oriented, you know, more principled, better outcomes. Um, so that story that we tell ourselves, our self-talk, and the talk uh, the, the, with which we address our teams, if, if you like, becomes hugely powerful and important, I think, and, and really right at the heart of the way we connect uh, to ourselves and to other individuals. Um, Bill Walsh, a great coach from the San Francisco 49ers, said something like, you know, his main job or one of his main jobs was to influence the self-talk 
of his athletes. Uh, and if you think about what, what's a team talk, what's a tactical session, really you're, you are telling a story and trying to imprint a story of what we are going to do here together in the minds of your people. So storytelling is everything and anything, I think, in many ways. Um, uh, Steve Jobs said, you know, words to the effect of, you know, he who has the, or he or she, who has the best story will win. And you look at you look at the Apple story, for instance, putting a dent in the in the universe. You know, um, uh, being insanely great. Some of the language around that you kind of get it, and and you get it intuitively and instinctively. And I think that's possibly sorry, a very long answer to a short question, but but I think that's probably the other aspect too. Um, stories impact you emotionally, people emotionally. Stories well told. You know, Aristotle said there were three aspects. There's ethos, logos, and pathos. Uh, ethos is incredible. Logos doesn't make sense. But pathos doesn't move me. And if you want to move people, motivate people, uh, have people move in a certain direction, shape the outcome, then the emotion is what does it and, and is a large part of what, what, what does it. And stories have this ability to, to kind of, you know, capture hearts and change minds, you know, but capture hearts. And so it, it's an essential part of the leader's toolkit. It's the essential part of every human being's toolkit. It's a central part of a podcast. That's what we're doing now. I think it's probably why people are listening to this podcast. They want to hear what the story is, you know, what's going on. It's kind of how we get inspired, how we get information where we get insights and 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 like those kids watching Disney movies over and over again um it's how we learn so that's my take on storytelling it's a fantastic take of that James. The, the, the end i'll put it at the end just to say it was a story it's, be uh, it's fascinating in the fact that you know it's there's nearly a hundred percent correlation there in terms of you know, great storytellers are also great leaders and they're able to recount, you know, stories past and stories of the future. And they set on the paradigm of the space-time perception that we as humans can only account of. Yeah. And it must have been fascinating for yourself to be able to be offered a lens into the camp of the All Blacks, indeed, your own home country, James, and recount that story in the fascinating book titled Legacy. How did that project come to fruition? Uh, well, it was a number of factors, I think. It was. It took a long time. It took about four years to to sell my story, if you like. To, 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 um, it was about timing. It was the right time for the for the team to do it. I, I came in to do a book. The first book I did uh, was a book called Mana, which is like the, the spirit inside the All Blacks. And I worked with a photographer called Nick Danziger, uh, fantastic photojournalist and and we wanted to tell the, the words and the pictures in a way and then one thing led to another and I ended up uh, becoming fascinated knowing there was more of a story to tell uh, which I told in the form of legacy um, and and really legacy was a coming together of a number of things it, 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 I'd worked with in sport and business um, uh, as a storyteller really I came up through advertising um 
worked with uh, brand identity and uh, was an identity consultant for a long time, but I also had this high performance side to me. Um, and really, I saw the All Blacks as a emblematic of a story that I think I knew well as a New Zealander, um, and I had an affinity with it. Um, but it also lined up with a lot of the work that I'd done in larger organisational change, which which really, um, uh, and that sort of fascination I had with culture change and, and establishing uh, a culture uh, and what that might mean and what a good culture is. And so I saw it as a sort of a, a confluence of two, two tributaries into one river that was called Legacy. One was the all black tributary and the other one was was my personal experience and and uh, I tried to bring those together into something that was would be useful for people um, inspiring um, informative hopefully insightful but also insightful as an to incite action you know to try to create something that would could create personal shifts if you like and and so really it was about um are coming together, you know, of all of those elements. Uh, and of course, it's a story about the All Blacks and anyone who knows a Kiwi knows that, you know, that the All Blacks are the pantheon of the gods and and they are, and they emblematic of what it really means to be the best of New Zealand in many ways. And, and there's huge pride in that ability of this, you know, it's a small island nation on the other side of the world that can take on the rest of the world and and keep on winning. Um, so there's huge pride and a sense of national belonging and identity that comes into that. So I wanted to kind of try to represent all of that, I think, in that story. I think, you know, your time there with the All Blacks of Transverse at a time as well, where there was a huge understanding as to how over time the country, not only in a rugby field, but off it too, had reframed winning. And there's a fantastic anecdote in the book to this, and it goes like winning takes talent to continue takes character. And I think this book, Legacy James, best encapsulates that arc of the New Zealand rugby team, the All Blacks, in fact, you know, essentially reframing what it takes to be an All Black. Yeah, yeah, well... You know, cultures either stagnate or they or they regenerate. I think, and I th I think the story I wanted to tell was was one of regeneration. Um, you know, there was a particular group of leaders under Graham Henry, now Sir Graham Henry, including Wayne Smith, including Gilbert Anoka, including Steve Hansen, but but more broadly than that, uh, 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 and also within the team, you know, clustered around Richie McCaw. Um, of some very, I would say, very thoughtful rugby men. And th those phrases don't always go together, um, uh, but very thoughtful, emotionally intelligent. Um, and at a time of great change, the, 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 the game had become professional. There was a different demographic entering uh, the, the frame, both in generational, but also in terms of ethnicity, in terms of uh, the Pacifica element coming in, so the some of the some of the um, some of the, the 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 sort of truisms of, of what the All Blacks had always been were maybe becoming redundant or old-fashioned, very hierarchical, quite command and control, and they really needed to 
uh, to create uh, a culture that a reflected the time, but also reflected, you know, what we kind of now know are the essentials for a great group. You know, culture, and this I'm not speaking their script. I'm just my my take on it is, you know, culture is a really interesting word in that it comes from the same Latin root as to cultivate. You know, um, the cultura animus, um, uh, Cicero, um, the first coined the phrase. Um, it's it's a place that people should grow. Now, um, if if you take that to its conclusion, that um, what you're trying to do is you're trying to create an environment in which human performers, athletes in this case, but we can take it more broadly than that, um, are able to be become what they're capable of becoming, I think is the phrase. I think it was Robert Louis Stevenson said, or become themselves um, in whichever direction that, that they happen to grow, to be able to express their talents, um, both professional and personal, um, to become leaders, you know, to, to grow up, if you like. Um, the All Blacks talked about better people make better All Blacks. Um, they, they, you know, there's only so many tackle bags you can hit, right? There's only so many, you know, cones you can put out and formations you can practice and small pitch games you can do and, you know, goalkeeping practice you can do and all of that. You know, on a coaching level, there's only so much. But, but a, a, what the military would call a force multiplier is decision-making, leadership, connection, camaraderie, got each other's back. You know, as as you know, most sports people, you know, they spend only a tiny fraction of their life actually competing. Most of the time we spend doing other stuff, training or not training, right? And so it makes a lot more sense that actually the area that you can have a huge amount of influence on, a force multiplication influence, is when you're not on the paddock, when you're not on the pitch. That's hugely important, of course, but if you're entire framework is you know 90 minutes or or whatever it is you know on a saturday or, or on a sunday and that's all there is to coaching all there is to leadership then you're missing you know the hundreds and hundreds and thousands of minutes there are not on saturday or sunday so culture acts on that and you go well where where are people at their best how do people grow and if you if you take the sort of humanistic tradition, the Maslow, and um, that 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 our urges, you know, we have a will to self-actualize, to become what we're capable of becoming, to grow, really, to become ourselves. Um, you go well. What are the opt how do you optimize the conditions for that to happen? Has got to be the sort of first principles question on that. You know, how do you optimize? And you go well. What do people need in order to grow? And if you take self-determination theory. Um, it comes down to three things. It comes down to competence, or let's call it mastery, um, autonomy, and relatedness. And there are other aspects, but but let's just focus on those. Mastery. Will they become the best footballer that they can be, or the best rugby player they can be, or the best tennis player they can be? Are you giving them a pathway to mastery? And that's sort of coaching 101. That's the skill set and the skill acquisition and all of that. And, and that's one aspect of it. There's another aspect, which is autonomy. Um, and that's really, I think, that's leadership. 
really. It's responsibility, it's ownership, it's accountability, it's agency, it's it's all of those things. Um, uh, you know, better people make better All Blacks. You know, the, the phrase um, that I heard around the campus, you know, do you have your hand out or do you have your hand up? You know, can, are you are you a leader? Do you have you are you a, do you have a dependent mindset or a, or a or a responsible, accountable mindset, an independent mindset? Are you a decision taker or a decision maker? You know, are you a, a follower or a leader? And and that comes down to autonomy and creating as coaches, if you like, leaders, the environment that you're not micromanaging, you're not picking on fault, you're allowing people to. Uh, to grow themselves, if you like, and that uses a lot of asking good questions, guidance, all of that kind of stuff. Then the third aspect is relatedness, connection, human connection. Am I, as a coach, as a leader, connected to my people, really? Do I know them more than just superficially? Were they objects to be moved around for me? Do they know each other? So are they connected to each other? usually around a cause that matters to everybody, common cause. Um, you know, that that everybody working towards common cause makes a huge amount of sense. And so that level of connectedness as a group becomes hugely important. It, it creates belonging, psychological safety. Um, uh, no one gets left behind. Care, compassion, love, brotherhood, fellowship, band of brothers, band of brothers and sisters, band of sisters, you know, the sisterhood, whatever it is, that collective sense of us and the cohesion that comes from that, which is hugely important. So are they the optimum conditions for people to grow and become better than, than, than they would be? Well, we're pretty much there in a sense, you know. And and so, um, so you know, creating the environment for, for human beings to grow and being uh, a gardener, not an engineer, it's been called, you know, rather than trying to engineer results, can you grow results from the inside by growing those connections, growing that mastery and growing human beings from being dependent to independent to be a team of leaders? It's a pretty good equation to build a great group. It's fascinating there and it gives food for poor champs and it's fascinating when you speak of self-determination theory because I think it segues nicely into a couple of the key lessons which are ascertained from the book. And there's a few which I'd like to read out to you and then hopefully they sure. serve up as anecdotes and we can go back and forth. This is the part I've been dreading because I have to remember what I wrote and I have to stand by it now. So go on, shoot. Fantastic. So the first lesson is that of character. Better people make better all blacks. Yeah. Why is sweeping the sheds important? Well, sweeping the sheds, um, um, I think I think it is an antidote to the real enemy of high performance, which is entitlement. You know, and I've said this before somewhere, but you know, unearned glory. Someone owes me. You know, of course, with with a better team, of course, we're going to win. Complacency comes from that. You know, you, lack of preparation comes from that, right? You know, humility. Uh, you know, the humility to do some to do the basics, to do jobs that 
if you get arrogant, you start to think it beneath you. Keep your feet on the ground and they keep you humble. But if you're humble, you're hungry. You know, you're hungry. And you've got that, what in, in the Eastern traditions would be called a, you know, a, a beginner's mind, a novice mindset. You're not expecting anything. You're you're generating whatever is. And so there's accountability and responsibility, and all of that comes from an act like that. It's it's an act of uh self-reliance. You know, I think the phrase I use in the book is, you know, no one takes care of the All Blacks, the All Blacks can take care of themselves. You know, it, you're not expecting somebody to come and kind of, you know, mop your face, you know, wipe up after yourself. You know, you do it yourself because that's leadership, isn't it? Taking responsibility. You know, it's, it's self-reliance is hugely, hugely important. Um, and, um, you know, you, you do get a bit soft if everyone's taking care of you. You know, the the been a I, I won't name names, but there's the story of a, a team that came to New Zealand and they um had gap year students come in and iron their dress shirts at, uh, just after half time to make sure they had nicely ironed shirts to get into. And um the All Blacks bus driver was shocked by this because he's going, How do you expect them to stand on their own two feet if you do it all for them? You know, Rio Ferdinand and out of Manchester United at the time said, you know, being in United at the time was being like a wildebeest. You were just herded from watering hole to watering hole. You didn't have responsibility. You didn't self-reliance. Now they did pretty well as a group, but but they did very well as a group. But it's not necessarily the way that you create maturity, create leadership. You know, owning your stuff. Also, what better metaphor for a legacy for leaving the jersey in a better place which is one of the core ideas within that all black culture ethos then um then um leaving the sheds the locker rooms in a decent state you know it ties into that idea of legacy you know leaving that shirt in a better place leaving the jersey in a better place that that um so you know what better metaphor is that then just taking care of business? So I think it it it's one of the one of the most powerful things around ritual, of which that is a kind of ritual, is that it embodies a whole belief system. Uh, and I I think sweeping the sheds that is an idea um, embodies a lot of those core values um, uh, within that environment. Uh, and those values are what is valued. That is what a good character looks like. Ethos means characteristic spirit. It's about character. And and the, the quote I think you used before, which is um, a version of, um, you know, that I, I think it might have been, I think it was John Wooden or it might have been uh, Michael Jordan. I think people have said various versions of the same thing is that, you know, talent, talent will win you a game, but character wins tournaments. It's, it's character means that when things don't go right, you do it right. You know, it means that um, that you make good decisions off the field. Um, you you know you 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 don't have that drink, or you you train just that little bit harder, um, or you get that night's sleep, or whatever whatever it is. So those small decisions that, and the marginal gains that come from character are huge, um, uh, but also people 
follow follow your example. People of good character, they follow your example. Uh, but it tends to be about focus and intention, doing the right thing on a difficult day, all of that kind of stuff. Um, you know, it's a sustainable model for success. Uh, you're not kidding yourself. There isn't a disconnect with who you're pretending to be and who you are. You can bring yourself fully to the game. And I think they 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 are the you know critical non-essentials. They're the they're the um, they're the the intangibles uh, that kind of make champions in a way. It's your preparedness to do what maybe other people aren't prepared to do, um, uh, uh, or not to do what other people are prepared to do. Um, that 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 over time in a cumulative way, in a marginal gains kind of way, um, lead to breakthrough results. Uh, so I think I think it's a very important thing. And listen, it's no coincidence that a special force unit focuses on the character of the special force operator in the same way as the All Blacks do. In the same way as, as um, uh, you know, one would hope you would want to be as a, as a father, you know, as a or as a mother, as a parent, um, you'd sort of want your politicians to be that, but we've probably given up on that. Um, you know, good character counts, um, and and you know, it 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 might even go back if if you think about you know Marcus Aurelius or or you go back to those ancient times. It, it the entire point of life was was a pursuit of virtue. The idea of virtue, you know, courage and moderation and um, fairness and you know justice and all of these values. So um, it, it's a it's a very powerful kind of ethical theme, and I think there's a lot um, ethics really the kind of rules of living, you know, in a or principles of living, maybe not rules, but principles of living, and they I think they have a they have a real reason because they they enable groups to function well uh and if you're in a team game you know you you win or lose by how well your team functions and so your character is going to be part of your contribution to a collective effort um you know are you doing the right thing by yourself and by the people you're with i think is a really important question and not in a kind of boy scouts kind of way but in a in a you know goody two shoes kind of way, but in a are you really committed to this? Are you really committed to your own success? Are you really committed to yourself? Are you taking, you know, your pursuit seriously? Not yourself, because the sense of humor and ability to laugh at yourself is a good part of character. But are you prepared to invest what it takes to get the job done? And I think anyone competing at a high level, you know, I know the listenership here is. You know, interest in that. You know, are you kidding yourself, or, or are you bringing yourself fully to what your pursuit is? And that takes real character. Um, you know, you might have to sacrifice some comfort. That takes real character. You might have to sacrifice distractions. That takes real character. You might have to not re react when something terribly unfair happens. When the referee makes a terrible decision, do you have the character to take it on the chin and to to win the game anyway. All of those are character decisions. And character, talent is fine, but without character, it's going to go nowhere. You need the talent, you know,
but you need the character as a force multiplier to that time. Um, so I think that's why it's so important. Absolutely enlightening. And similarly, at the same time, it fits in nicely to the subsequent lesson, which is that of responsibility. And former all black Wayne Smith had a tremendous quote, which I'll touch upon here now, James. And, you know, he speaks about people rise to a challenge. If it's their challenge, leaders create leaders. Yeah. Um, responsibility and ownership and accountability, you know, a massive and, lead, uh, you know, you know, is all around leadership, really. Um, Smithy, former player, uh, you know, he's known as the professor uh, and a fantastic um, human being and uh, really incredibly influential within that group. Um, um, and that phrase, I think, says it all. I think it's one of the most insightful phrases in leadership that I've come across is that people rise to a challenge if it's their challenge. You can coach all you want. You can tell people the result that you want, but unless people own it, they feel it inside, they're intrinsically motivated. Uh, they will, you know, you, they're not going to move in that direction. Um, so by what I call pass the ball, and, you know, you grow leaders by giving them more responsibility. You empower people by giving away your power. You know, you've got to hand it over, delegate, um, because, you know, that's when people grow. And but but also that's when people own stuff. You know, you can you can tell people as much as you want. Whatever you want, it'll go one, one ear and out the other. But if you ask them what they think is the right thing. That Socratic inquiry means they'll internalize it. They've got to search inside themselves and come up with an answer. They've got to articulate that answer, you know, to themselves and to others. And once they've done that search inside and articulated it and 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 spoken it into existence, you know, they'll own that. They'll tend to want to, you know, the joke I made is, you know, stay up late and order pizzas, you know, get the job done because it was their idea, or it feels like it's their idea. And it was their idea, and they've got their fingerprints on it, and they've got skin in the game, for want of a better cliche. Um, and that's really a massive part of, of creating the connection um, and the common cause, uh, I think, of any group. Um, and, you know, anyone who's a parent knows that that's the way to go. If you say you know, it's time to get into bed or get into bed, chances are the child will, be go, will find every reason not to. But if you can somehow make it their idea, hey, how are you feeling? What might be the best way to, to do this? Would it, would it be nice to curl up somewhere warm and read a book? I know, I'll go to bed. Now, it happens about once once in a blue moon, but you get the, hopefully you get the point. Um it's like, yeah, you've you've created you've created a coalition of the willing, then. Um, so, responsibility and you know it's a it's a two way street. It's it's taking responsibility and it's handing over responsibility. But it is where people grow. It's where people own things, and it's really about creating in a team environment a, a distributed what's called a distributed leadership model, leadership at every level. Rather than thinking there's a boss and a whole bunch of followers, it's actually it's a team of leaders 
I, I call it, you know, one captain but 15 leaders in a, in a rugby context, or one captain, 11 leaders. You know, what you want is 11 people who, who are able to make, you know, strategic decisions on a tactical level. They know their part in a plan. They know what the plan is, and they know what their part in that plan is. Uh, and therefore, when the situation changes, they're able, on their tactical level, they're able to make a decision um, that's really good in terms of the big picture. And, and you know, it, 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 it's important in sport. It's very important in the military. They call it um, the strategic corporal. Um, you know, if, if, if you're out there and you start shooting at the wrong time, you can start World War Three. You know, you've got to know the big picture as well as your own individual role. Um, and so empowering people, trusting people as leaders, building leaders, handing over significant responsibility at that point of information is 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 really critical. And inevitably, you know, your character and your very being is going to be stress tested at times and it will be called into question. Reading the book, you know, the All Blacks, seemingly have this uncanny ability to deal with pressure, especially in adverse situations. And reading one quote here, by controlling our attention, we control our performance. By controlling our performance, we control the game. And James, I think what it comes back to here is it's quite poignant to me that the All Blacks, their use of mantras they almost serve as mental roadmaps in times of great stress and pressure. Well, we talked about storytelling, you know. Um, you know, one of the oldest form of storytelling, you know, it's a pro I think I mentioned is, is, is pro as parables and proverbs. What's the story and what's the proverb? What's the hook? That's a mantra, really, a maxim, an aphorism. In, in, um, in, the, in Hinduism, um, they have what's called sutras, and sutras are the sort of small aphoristic statements of belief. And sutra means um, thread. You know, they're the way we weave our belief system together. So I think having hooks to hang ideas on is incredibly important and powerful. And um, you, you, it's not just the All Blacks who, who are able to encapsulate those beliefs into small phrases. Um, you, you know, I think I think great teams have what I call a a, um, a common but uncommon language, you know, a way they speak that is specific to that environment. Um, there's a special force unit, and they talk about loyal descent, for instance. You know, it's important to be loyal to the mission, but descent is also important, and that's about psychological safety and making sure the stuff that needs to be said. But it's a hook to hang it on. Because you can say, listen, a bit of loyal dissent here, boom. You know, Amazon talk similarly, you know, about disagree and commit, right? It's important to disagree. It's equally important when the time comes to commit to whatever the decision is. Now, they're little phrases that, that, that you can hang your ideas on and also become a common language um, that you can work with people. And, of course, that matters the most in a in a... Uh, pressure situation you need shortcuts you need heuristics that take you to the right action at the right time and so you know those sort of simple battle cries uh out in the military zone or 
you know, I mean, you said the All Blacks um, seem to be masters at mastering pressure. I would say 24 years of World Cup pain. Um, they weren't. You know, they really weren't for 24 years. They they choked. They were being started to be seen as as chokers. Um, uh, because when it, you know they were world champions between World Cups, then when it came to the knockout phases of the World Cups, they lost. And this came to a head in 2007. Where they got um, eliminated from the from the Rugby World Cup um, by the French in the quarterfinals, um, and a number of factors came into play, but you know they lost, and they worked very very hard on pressure, and they defined what pressure is. Pressure is a privilege. It's a Billy Jean King phrase. Again, they took this phrase and used it. Billy Jean King phrase. Um, uh, pressure is a privilege. You know, you want to embrace those ex expectations. You want to, in the military, they say they you want to run to the sound of the guns. You know, we we might know it in proverbs as grasp the nettle. You know, so you can see these phrases hold that same sort of idea, um, and and now we all know what that means. Then, and so we're all able to grasp the nettle, run to the sound of the guns. Um, you know, embrace expectations you know, because pressure is a privilege kind of thing. So these simple sutras are threads that weave and understand a collective understanding together. And that's a very powerful way to, to introduce, it's a very powerful thing to introduce that kind of language into an environment because um, it becomes a shorthand for expectations, for norms, for beliefs, for behavior, um, and trigger words for the for the for the right thing to do on a difficult day when you're under pressure. So, um, and then of course the All Blacks worked very very hard. And Gilbert Inoka, uh, the mental skills coach, who's you know done a remarkable job. You know he has just retired. He's um, uh, he's been within the All Blacks for nearly half. They, they've competed in something like six hundred and sixty, or I can't remember the exact number. Tess, he's been there for roughly 330 of them, you know, pretty much half of them. Um, and the most successful half, they were successful already, but they've been remarkably successful recently. And, um, but he very swiftly recognised that there was a problem of pressure, um, that they were choking at this point. And they had a, um, an opportunity and they brought in um, a guy called Kerry Evans, who is now the new mental skills coach in the All Black. He's taken over where Gilbert left off, interestingly. So it'll be interesting to see how he does in the position. Um, uh, and he introduced an idea called redhead, bluehead. Um, you know, redhead, you're choking. Best way I can describe this is, you know, you're you're late for a meeting, you're on the road, you're driving, you're wondering what's going to happen when you get here. And at the moment that you're wondering, you get T-boned from the side by a car coming out of a side street because your mind's not on the road. It's out there in some imaginary land that hasn't even happened yet. Right? Future-faced thinking, um, total destruction, your control of attention is poor. Um, or blue head, which is your control of attention is on task in the moment. Horizon opens up, time slows down. You know, you execute under pressure. You see the car coming out from the side, you, you avoid it. Somebody passes you the ball, you don't drop it because your mind's in the game. Now, now, that's about the control of attention. 
And, and of course, where we put our attention is what really matters in all things, whether we put our attention on doing good work or bad work, on, on um, being arrogant or being humble. You know, where, where, where do we focus our mind? Of course, so there are bigger things, but just on a task, on a performance level, are you able to, you know, the cliches control the controllables, shut out the noise, separate signal from noise down to the stuff that makes a real difference. And and of course, and and when you lose that, when when you when you come off, you know, we, we all have these intrusive thoughts. You know, you've, you're you're up one nil in the most important game of your life as a football player, soccer player. Um, uh, you can't help but be going. Gee, I hope they don't score. I hope they don't score. Then you might go, don't pass it to me. Don't pass it to me. I don't want the responsibility, right? And of course, that's the point that somebody passes it to you and you're so busy thinking those thoughts, you stuff it up, there's an intercept, they score, equalize, they win on win an extra time, right? You know, those moments matter where you're putting your attention really matters. But if you're in that situation as you're going, embrace expectation, pressure is a privilege, um, pass me the ball, I'm going to make sure I'm going to do right by this. No one's going to win this ball off me, however hard they're pressing. I'm going to own this ball. No one's going to do it. And you're not even thinking that. What you're thinking is just ball, 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 foot, ball, foot, ball. Da, 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 da. You're in that moment. You're with that ball. You're on task. Um, then you're in a much stronger, better place. Your your attention is where it can make a difference in the game. And that's real. That's mental strength, really. You know, we're all going to feel the pressure. We're all going to have those intrusive thoughts. We're all going to... Be, think if I get the ball, we'll lose, or maybe we'll lose. You know, all of those thoughts are always going to come up. It's your ability to shift your attention from an unresourceful state to a resourceful state, from inattentive to attentive, from off task to on task, from red to blue, uh, that will define your ability to perform in that moment on the paddock under pressure. And of course, in a sporting context, that's that's what we need to do. I think underpinning all of this, James, there's, I'm just scribbling away in my notes, there's a question of meaning. And yeah. it's linked to the concept of whakapapa. But for me, whakapapa, it's nearly less about the concept and more about shifting your attention as an athlete, coach, performer, from what is this all in service of to who is all of this in service of? Yeah. Yeah, I think that's fair. I think you know, fakapapa is a, a it's a beautiful word, and it it, it um, means a beautiful idea. And it, it's really about lineage, genealogy. You know, we're all part of this long unbroken chain of people, and um, we have this moment in the sun. And how are we gonna? What what will our contribution be? You know, this is our moment, and what will our contribution be? And of course, it ties into the idea of legacy. What do we leave behind us? after we're gone um you know but what 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 will our you know how will we represent our lineage um and maybe most importantly what how will we represent those who come after and and i think that a shift of attention again from what's in it for me what can i get to what can i give is you know what will my contribution be is is a sort of a a, a bigger picture version of hand out or hand up, you know, and um, 
and it works on you know multiple levels it it works on the level of of um works on multiple levels it works on the level of um what am i what am i doing with this life i've got you know am i living a life of significance of meaning you know and you know that's 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 a question that that should haunt us occasionally because i think what it does is that it, it means that we focus our attention on the stuff that really matters it can be really easy to take the easy way out you know like i write books i love writing books but i hate writing books you know it's hard work you know it challenges your limits all the time um you know, it's it's what gets called type two fun. You know, it's the kind of fun you have once you've done it. But at the time, it's work. But there's a direct degree of contribution, I think, that that helps me get through the tough times. And I say this having uh, not published for quite a long time, but I've got the books ready to go. Um, uh, but, you know, it helps make it the times that it all just seems difficult worthwhile because there's a bigger meaning. Um, you know, Nietzsche said, if you have a strong enough why, you can overcome any how. You know, you know, if, you, if you've got a kind of something to live for, you will. You know, I think that high performance comes from high purpose to a degree. Um, the, the, you know, the, the, you know, if, if, if say, we talked, we talked about the military a lot in this conversation, but, but, um, you know, you wouldn't necessarily go and throw yourself un into into um, the line of fire if you didn't have a pretty good purpose, pretty good reason to. And that might be, you know, king and country, or you know, for the commander in chief, or or whatever. But actually, I think your purpose is is actually um, much more down into representing your crew your people, human connection. And what are, one of my favorite lines around this is, is and it, it, it overlaps with legacy and the idea of legacy is that um, Pericles quote, you know, that our achievements aren't written on stone monuments. They're woven into the lives of others. And so our contribution to the people that we work with, that we work alongside, you know, our families, our friends, um, you know, if we live in a in a state of some sort of service, I guess, of contribution, we get paid back in spades. You know, we 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 we're not suckers. We're not. You know, we're not. We're not. We're not giving it away for nothing. You know, the, all the rewards. You know, if you want to be loved, love. If you want to take value, create value. You know, if you want to be. You know, if you want to get something. From a team give something to that team you know and that's the equation that there's a reciprocity i think um that it happens in life the, the more you give to something the more and, and it, it's not always a straight line but the more you give something the more love you put into writing a book for instance the more likely that book is to be loved you know the more you love the craft of football say or rugby or cricket or baseball or basketball or business um, or teaching or whatever it is the more you love the craft the better you're going to get and the more rewards are going to come your way and it doesn't really work the other way if you're thinking of what can i get out of this what can i get out of this i think you get found out pretty quickly in, in all avenues of life the le your level of commitment and contribution 
um, which is part of your character, will define the outcome often. And it won't always go your way, but it's just more you're setting a trajectory in the right direction, I think. And so I think that contributive mindset, that service mindset is a large part of um, uh, on the on the meta level thinking about you know what your contribution to your to this moment in human history is you know is they're really really good questions you know and I think you've just got to make sure they're not kind of miss world questions you know world peace and mung beans they need to be something that you can do that no one else can do as the phrase goes um, and how can you be useful you know how can how can you make a difference to other people because um, that's where the real juice of life is. I think that's where meaning comes from. I think that's a satisfying life. Um, but it's also a very successful life um, because the more value you create, the more you're valued in, in society generally. Um, you know, the, the uh, and, you know, when you're valued, real material value comes from that. Social value comes from that. But be valuable, be useful, make a contribution. What can you give? What can you give to other people in this in any given situation is a really powerful place to stand um, uh, in any life. You know, you don't write books for yourself. I don't anyway. I enjoy it and I write the books I want to write, but but I want other people to benefit. And and to me, that satisfies a lot of those things. And I'm not holding myself up as the, the arbiter of this, but I, I just think if there's one thing I've learned in life, the more you give, the more you get. And and I think that's a large part of fuck papa and a, and a large part of legacy. That sense of contribution, that servant leader mindset. Same with that. That sense of contribution. I mean, evidently, you've done quite extensive research from giants in the sports field, military, some obviously ancient giants of philosophy. There we've gone through over the past hour, James. However, you know, we're obviously in an age of disruption. I know that's something that you studied extensively too, be it the VUCA climate, which we're in currently. How can anyone who's in charge of leadership and development practices within their own, within their own sectors, I would suppose, how ought they begin to act and crystallize some of these lessons which we've touched upon today? Um. Well, I think the um, I think I think for me, I would start with that idea of ethos, and ethos means character, actually, and uh, the characteristic spirit, and and I think you know what do you stand for, and what won't you get get down to that core values, if you like, know thyself. It's the most ancient. Um, you know, know 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 what you stand for, what you won't, where you're going. You know that that vivid vision of where you're going, and and that purpose, that that legacy question. You know why does it matter, right? And just by asking those questions, I think, you know, in the shower and the train. You know, we talked before this. You know, this this call. You know, when when you have a bit of time on your hands, when you're walking the dog, or you know you wake up early at the four o'clock in the morning. You know, you know, you know, spend some time to reflect, um, because I think the um, there's, there's a thing, you know, where you sit is where you stand. You know, the, the, the basis and identity basis is hugely important. 
and and so that would be kind of one you know you kind of align yourself with 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 um you know integrity is a really interesting word it it, it, it the way i it, you know it's been come to me kind of honesty and probity and all of that but but for, for me it's you know that your values and your thoughts and your words and your actions are integrated are aligned and you know if you take in buddhism you take the noble truths you know right thoughts right actions etc right work um that are you aligned with yourself right first and then second um you know what difference can you make you know one of my favorite lines from sport is team gb women's hockey um and one of the questions or one of the their kind of value statements was just be the difference you know just be the difference what difference well that depends on on your bigger questions but but be the difference. See if you can go out and make a difference. Have some impact. And you know, incrementally over time, the more you can make a difference in whatever environment you're in. You know, whether it's a podcast. You know, if you're going, you know, Connor, if you're going, I'm doing this podcast because I want to get famous, or I'm doing this podcast because it'll get it'll drum up some work, or I'll do this podcast because um, it'll kind of you know, keep my my foot in many camps all at one time, or if I do this podcast because I get to meet and talk to lots of interesting people, right? That's quite a self-referential thing. But if you do a podcast where you're going, I really want to make a contribution to the level of knowledge that's out there in the community, right? I want to be useful for people. I want to create an environment in which people learn and develop and soar and become more than they thought they were capable of becoming, right? You'll still get all of that other stuff. That's just a byproduct of doing something great, and so so I think know who you are and and an answer to your question, you know know who you are and what you stand for, what your values are. The, who are you when you're authentically you? Are you aligned with yourself? Nothing more painful than not being that. And the second is you know what difference can you make every day? You know you know when when you when you walk into a room, how do, how do you enhance that room? You know, do you come and you go, oh, shit, you know, sorry, I'll, I'll try and keep my language, uh, but, you know, I won't actually. You know, you come in and go, the shitty weather that we're having today. And everyone goes, oh, yeah, you're right. Or do you come in and go, love the rain, you know, liquid sunshine, you know, not quite, but but you know what I mean? You We create the weather. We literally create the climate in a room. You know, what are you bringing? And, and, by being, you know, I don't know how much you know about baseball and, and again, a Kiwi, Brendan McCullen coming into the England cricket team. Um, you know, they're just trying to create a positive environment because they know that, you know, there's physiological reasons for it, that it releases dopamine. And when we're high and we have a lot of dopamine, we tend to be, be more reward-oriented in our behaviour. We go for it. You know, we're, not, we're, not, we're playing to win, not playing not to lose when you're in a happier place, more positive place. Can you, you know, are you part of the, the, the creating an environment in which other people can ex excel? Because, you know, if, if you're, you know, San Antonio Spurs, how can I make my teammates better? Brilliant mantra. How can I make my teammates better? Because, you know, if you're making them better, uh, they're making you better. Um, so I think, 
uh, uh, I, it's, I've, I've gone off on a bit of a tangent, but I think know thyself, know what you stand for, and then look for ways to make a difference would be my kind of thought of the week, let's call it. I don't know if it's my life philosophy, but but it's certainly part of it. And it's kind of my thought of the week, I think, for today, that, that, that you know, you get those two things aligned. Um, you know, you'll have a pretty good life. Um, you'll be successful, I think, as a byproduct of, of you know, high character decision making. James, like you're a fountain of knowledge, I suspect legacy won't be the last time we'll hear of you. I mean, what are you working on now? What's next on the agenda? Um, I've got a, a number of projects going. Um, uh, I've had a couple of not false starts, but uh, books that I've I've got to a certain point uh, I had a book uh, that was due to be finished just before COVID and then COVID kind of interrupted it it, it, it was a, a book around Everest and um, it involves some more research there so I, I've started on another book called Ethos uh, Ethos is, is really looking at that narrative element and breaking it down looking at the, the psychology and the neuroscience of why that's important but 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 through stories of great groups and individuals who have who have kind of changed their game, if you like, um, through through that narrative element. Um, and I have a, a, a number of other books I'm looking at that I'm, I'm just sort of just stating a little bit. Um, uh, I have a consultancy and we do work with corporates um, uh, in terms of crystallizing their culture. So I'm doing quite a bit of work on that. And I work... Um, with various coaches and at elite level um, on a kind of small short project level where I'll go in and help kind of sharpen the sword a little bit uh, uh, with them and I do a bit of speaking um, I'm sort of on the speaker circuit uh, which I enjoy I enjoy the performance of that my own high performance uh, environment if you like um, but book wise I think the next one uh, will be ethos and it'll cover some of the, the material we've been talking about today I believe for the right ears, minds, and dispositions, you know, today's episode contains fountains of gold, you know, to for people to take and implement in their own working environments and not only working environments, but life as a whole. So, James, I, I, once again, I can't thank you enough for coming on the show today. Oh, well, listen, it's a real pleasure. You know, I hope I've been useful. You know, I hope I've been able to make a contribution. Thank you very much, Connor. It's been a real a pleasure and a privilege to 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 make a contribution of some sort.